Hey everybody, today I'm in the studio with Pastor John Bellis. John, we are in Mark chapter 7, so for listeners out there, open your Bibles unless you're driving in your car, to verses 24 to 37. And John, this is the section of scripture where Jesus is going to head into Gentile territory for the third time, and I think actually the last time in the Gospel of Mark. He's probably going out there to seek some rest, but as we're going to see, he interacts with a couple of desperate people in need. Before we jump into all of this and and, and unpack this awesome passage of Scripture, maybe we need to connect it a little bit to what we looked at just last week. Yeah, last week we saw that Jesus had this, again, this contradiction with the religious leaders of his time, primarily about their oral tradition, these oral traditions of ceremonial washing before they ate. And, And Jesus blows their minds by arguing that it's not what goes into a man's stomach that makes him unclean or clean. And that seems very common sense to you and me. But again, that would have been pretty mind-blowing for that culture and for the religious leaders because that oral tradition was so ingrained in them. And now he's going he's gonna to level that up even one more <laughs> because he's going to go into the home of a Gentile. He's going to actually stay with a Gentile. And that was just unheard of for a pious Jewish person to do. And I'm sure I think about the disciples as they were traveling along with Jesus going, what are we doing? We've never done things like this. You know, we we trust you, Jesus. They're learning more about him. You know, they're still unpacking everything about who this guy is, who this Messiah is. In fact, we're going to be getting into to Peter's confession of who Jesus is here in the next couple of weeks. So they're still learning all this as they go. And, and now Jesus is not only kind of wiping out the distinction between clean and unclean foods, but between clean and unclean people. Yeah, and that's really the connection between, in, in all of chapter 7, That's I think it's easy for us as Gentile readers to miss this, to not understand the significance of like in the in the time you know for the disciples following Jesus these verses that we're looking at we might just read right past it and miss how mind blowing this really was for them as they're trying to understand religion and god and who god wants relationship with and the the place of israel in the overall arc of salvation history. And I'm, probably some of our listeners might even need to understand that themselves, because I think there's a lot of question about dispensations and maybe some things that we don't have to get into great detail on. But but for at least the Jewish uh, followers of Jesus at this time, these were, these were real challenging uh, experiences for them. And it, it probably... It probably is good for us to John to start with a question to connect it to our uh, to our listeners today, and that is how far away do you feel from God? Because whenever we're talking about Jews and Gentiles, we always have to think about it in those terms, right? That some some people feel unworthy, some people feel too far from God, like God isn't interested in them, 
And, and the verses, some of these verses and passages from today are going to be triggering for those people, but hang, hang in there because they're going to be some real insights we want to draw out of this. But, but John, I think on one side of the spectrum, some people might answer that question, how far do you feel from God? Some people would say very far. Like some people would say, I don't think God would be interested in somebody like me. And then I think on the other side of the spectrum, you might have people in our churches who say, oh, I'm close to God and I'm one of his favorites and he really likes me. And so you, these kind, these are the kinds of people that probably look down on the people who feel far from God. And that certainly is the position that the disciples were in, at least at times, right? At least at times, I think of when uh, James and John wanted to call down fire from heaven and just destroy the Samaritan village, right? They, they had this, this element of self-righteousness that Jesus is trying to break them from. And I, I really believe that's part of the reason that this miracle, the first miracle we're going to read, plays out is Jesus is continuing to help open the disciples' eyes that it's not about your lineage. It, it's not about your bloodline. It's about the heart and the humility that you approach God with. And that, that salvation definitely came first through the Jews, but all along it was intended to come to everyone, both Jew and Gentile. And the disciples need to learn that. Like, they don't get that. That's not what they were taught growing up. And so we're going to see it's a great teaching event for them. Okay, so let's get to the text. Mark chapter 7. Let's start with verses 24 to 27. Here's what it says, NLT. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, because, but he, he couldn't keep it a secret, as, as we've seen throughout the Gospel of Mark. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit. She begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. And since she was a Gentile, born in Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, First I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. All right, let's pause there, John. Help us to understand these verses. Well, first, maybe a little geography reminder. So Tyre and Sidon, this is about 50 miles northwest of where most of Jesus's ministry has been taking place around the Sea of Galilee. It's a primarily Gentile area. And keep that in mind, 50 miles. Now, you and I say 50 miles away in our culture, that's nothing, right? But this is 50 miles. This is before the internet. This is before nightly news. This is before social media. And Jesus is such a big deal, he can't even find a place to stay in secret 50 miles from where he's been doing his ministry. Like, that's how big of a deal Jesus was. I think he was probably looking for rest. Maybe that's one of the reasons he was trying to keep a secret where he was staying. But also, I think another element of this, Brian, is he knew it would give the Jewish religious leaders even more ammunition against him if they knew he was staying in the home of a Gentile. It's just going to continue to fan the flames of their hatred that they had, their resentment, uh, because he's doing this unclean thing after he had just had this argument with them about clean and unclean food. Uh, but one of the things that jumps out at me is he couldn't keep it a secret. And that, that's still the case, right? When Jesus is truly present, you can't keep it a secret. You know, we, we, all, we all know believers that are just, they're walking with the Lord, they're in fellowship with him closely, 
And it's just, a, it's abundantly clear that they are. They can't keep it a secret, even if they wanted to. It's not unimportant that Mark mentions that she's a Gentile. So he says she wasn't Jewish. So again, he's not, he's outside, he's in Gentile territory. So it's not surprising that he encounters a Gentile there. But Mark wants to make sure that we understand this. Again, this is part of what he's, he's trying to connect the dots between what we learned last week about food that's unclean. And remember, now he's talking about, he's, he's going to challenge the disciples' understanding of people who are unclean, but it's kind of a weird way to challenge it because, because John, he says something that to modern ears sounds really offensive, that she says, hey, would you heal? And it's almost like it's the first time, you know, it's one thing for Jesus to call out Pharisees and to challenge them, and the Pharisees were the bad guys in, in the Gospel of Mark. But it's almost like this is the first time he speaks words that might be challenging to someone who's just a regular person, like someone that you'd feel real compassion for. But because she's Gentile, it's almost like it sounds like Jesus is being mean to her. Because again, I'll read, I'll read his words. He said, first, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. John, this sounds like harsh language from Jesus. Oh, you hear that. And there's something that just makes kind of you want to bristle. I, I totally understand if if you're not really paying attention to the context. In fact, I've, I may have even mentioned this on a podcast previously. There is a, a very liberal uh, progressive pastor who uses this passage to accuse Jesus of racism and, and says that Jesus repents of racism and that's why he changes his mind. Well, that's ridiculous. Uh, Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. Uh, there's no racism here. The first thing that I would encourage the, the listeners to think about is Jesus said, first. So Jesus is indicating an order here. He's not saying he didn't come for Gentiles. He's just saying he came for the Jews first. That, that's been God's order, right? And we go all the way back to the Old Testament. He chose Israel. He chose to work through the nation of Israel but even in the Old Testament, I mean, there are countless passages we could cite here. There were provisions in the Old Testament law about how the Israelites were to treat foreigners. So foreigners who wanted to come in, who wanted to assimilate, if we want to use that word, who wanted to worship Yahweh, the God of the Jewish people, there were provisions for how they should be treated. And then all the way back when God called Abraham right? The, the, the patriarch of the Jewish nation, he told Abraham, all nations will be blessed because of you. So the attention has always been to bring salvation to both Jews and Gentiles, but it came to the Jewish people first. And, and as you hear that, I would just remind our listeners, if that, if that doesn't sit well with you, if that, does, you know, if that gives you heartburn in any way, I would just remind you that God is God and we're not. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. We submit to that. And the reason it should be easy to submit to that is because we know God's character. He is good. He is perfect. He is just. So I, I, think, I think we need to be careful, Brian, and I've been guilty of this, of trying to determine why God's order was that way. You know, maybe you've heard some teachings on why he chose to work with the Gentiles. I've heard, te or excuse me, through the Jewish people first. I've heard teachings on that. And, you know, I, I think it's okay to maybe speculate, but we need to be honest with ourselves. That's really what it is, just speculation. 
Only God knows exactly why he ordered it that way, and he doesn't owe us any explanation. <laughs> you know, I think there's something about American culture in general, but even American Christianity that kind of has this sense of entitlement when we think about life, when we think about anything. And I know you hate entitled <laughs> attitudes. I do too. I can't stand it. But yet sometimes we can feel that way with God. We feel entitled. We f- we feel like we're not not just, you know, Jew- certainly the Jews felt this way because because of their long history in the Old Testament and and God chose them to bring the, through whom to bring this the Messiah. But I think again, even Americans can get this sense of entitlement where where we we say, I deserve it because I'm a good person. I deserve, I deserve um fair treatment i deserve to um to i deserve honor you know and so i think there's again even for an american reading this you can misunderstand jesus's words when when he kind of challenges her sense of entitlement and we're going to see here in a second she does not at all carry that sense of entitlement in her in her interaction but before we look at that just one other thing john it is does in the original language, was did was this as rude as it sounds when Jesus is basically calling her a dog? Not really. I guess you could say yes and no. It, it was common for Jews to call Gentiles dogs in, in a very derogatory way. And when you use that term for a woman, it meant a, a shameful, audacious woman. It, it meant the B word. I mean, I won't say it on the podcast, right? But it's the same word we still use for a woman that's just you know, shameless and and shameful and audacious and kind of in your face. But that's actually not the term that Jesus used. Jesus used a term that meant like a house pet, like a little dog, a a lap dog, if you will, right? Someone that, something that you would cuddle. So he softened it. Now he's still, he's still clearly pointing out, you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And so it's not right for me to give the food to you until I've first given it to the children, but he definitely softened it. He didn't use the same derogatory term that a Jew typically would have called a Gentile. Before we read the woman's response, I I want our listeners to think about how would you respond to this? I mean, really, like pause for a second, maybe in your small groups this week, you can talk about this. How would you have responded to words like this? You know, Jesus says, no, first I should feed my own, he basically is saying no. He's first I should feed my own children, my own family, the Jews. It's not right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. How would that land with you? How would you respond? I, I would say, John, some listeners, if they're being really honest, they would probably say, How dare you, Jesus? How dare you say that? How dare you speak like that to me? I think some some people would would go toe to toe. In fact, that's really the attitude of, of a lot of certainly agnostics or atheists. They are they're so um, dishonoring to the God of the universe. Some of the stuff that's in our culture right now, it just shocks me. Like I want to say to them, I want to say to them, you do realize this is God, and He has the power to do whatever He wants. Like He has the power to judge you. How you you know. How the audacity of some people to come to Jesus and say, "How dare you!" But but let's be honest. Some listeners even today might kind of have that underlying attitude toward God that they again, it's that sense of entitlement that you would say, 
are you calling me a dog? What are you, what are you saying? How dare you? Okay, so that's how a lot of people would respond to this. But let's look at the woman's response. Verses 28 to 30, it says this. Here's how, here's how this Syrophoenician woman responded to Jesus. She said, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat scraps from the children's plates. That was her response. And then Jesus says this, good answer. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in in bed, and the demon was gone. Man, what a a powerful few verses there, John. Help us to understand these. Yeah, man, I'm feeling convicted (laughs) because... I, I've had that attitude with the Lord. I've, I'm sure I've thrown out some how dare yous to God uh, in my walk with him. She's not like that at all. Uh, she addresses Jesus as Lord, even after being turned down. So that's the first thing I see. She, she agrees with Jesus. She says, that's true, Lord. Like, in other words, you, you get to call the rules, Jesus. And if that's what you say, then that's true. You know, Jesus is truth. And she says, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. She sows so much humility. She doesn't question the order. You know, she doesn't respond by saying, like you said, how, how dare you call me a little dog? She, she doesn't whine and say, that's not fair. And she's willing to take the scraps. What, what wisdom we see from this Gentile. And again, keep in mind, I'm sure the disciples are in the room. The disciples are seeing this, that this this unclean, they would have thought her unclean woman, recognizes that even the scraps from Jesus are better than anything the world has to offer. I I just wonder what kind of impact that had on on the disciples, on these Jewish men. Because it's not only the fact that she was a Gentile, she was a woman. And Jesus already blown their minds by having conversations with women, which was pretty much unheard of in that culture. And, and then I just love her faith. So she obeyed Jesus when he told her to go home. She, she just trusted that what he said was true. She didn't, she didn't say, well, how, how do I know she's better? Or, you know, Jesus, don't you need to go with me to touch her? And in that way, I feel like her faith is very much like that of the Roman centurion when, when he asked Jesus to heal his servant and Jesus was going to come to his house and, and he said, hey, look, I'm not even worthy to have you come under my roof, but I'm a man of authority and I know what that's like. So you just give the order and I know my servant will be healed. And, and I remember in that passage, Jesus marveled at his faith. So the faith of this Gentile amazed Jesus. And I think in the same way, this woman's faith amazed the disciples. They, they couldn't believe how much she just humbled herself. It's helpful for us to remember as we're reading through the Gospels, and we've said this before on this podcast, that so many of, so many of uh, these miracles and teachings were done for the, really for the audience of the disciples. He, was, he wasn't, I mean, of course, he wanted to heal this woman's daughter, but, but he also had this, this bigger picture in mind that he was trying to help his disciples put together who he was. And we're going to see next week that they were still missing it. <laughs> they, they kept missing it. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that their hearts were hard. They, they keep missing it, but they're still learning. And I love that that's, that that's, uh, that's just how God works with us is he wants us, 
He wants us to see who he really is. He's going to be patient with us as we're trying to put the pieces together. But part of our journey is is handle is how how we deal with the offensive sayings of Jesus. And maybe John, we can spend a few minutes here, kind of bringing this home to our modern listeners who maybe don't struggle so much with this story, but there are some other passages in scripture that have offended them. And they, they tend to approach with sort of this entitlement attitude, like how dare you, Jesus say something like this, like we're taking authority over his word. Oh, I think there are several instances that come to my mind, just particularly in our culture right now. One is Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. There, there are so many people that hear that, and they just get fighting mad. You're trying to tell me there's only one way to God? You know, who gets to decide what that one way to God is? Well, God does. <laughs> God gets to decide how we can have relationship with him, because again, he's God and we're not. So how do you respond when you hear that? Right? You know, Christianity is the most inclusive and exclusive religion at the same time. It's inclusive in that that whoever would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that, that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead can be saved, right? And yet it's exclusive because he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Or how about this one in our culture? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Man, there's so much there to unpack, right? That God's designed for marriage is one man and one woman, that his design for marriage is that it would be a lifelong covenant, that it would be a commitment, that his design for, for sexual intimacy is that it would not be expressed until the two are man and are husband and wife and have become one flesh. There's so much in that one statement that we want to bristle back at, that we want to argue with God over. Or, you know, one that if if you've been following God for a long time and maybe some of these you know, these issues of living a life that honors him, you've, you've kind of gotten under control and you're like, hey, you know, John, I have no issues knowing that Jesus is the only way. I have no issues with God's design for marriage. Well, what about forgive others as you have been forgiven by your father in heaven? Like God calls us to forgive just as he's forgiven us. That means everything, right? When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we confess our sins to him, it says that he is faithful and he forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So you and I don't get to pick and choose when we want to be forgiving and when we want to hold a grudge. Yeah, for listeners who tuned in on Tuesday to our podcast, you would have heard us wrestle through the question about women in ministry, women pastors. And again, I, I think that's a that's another one where it's easy to go uh, to approach that topic and say, well, I, you don't get to tell me what to believe about that. I get to believe what I want, but I want to just challenge our listeners. Hey, look, look you, you need to wrestle with what God's word has to say about it. Because, you know, how we define sin is sin is trusting and acting on our own opinions and feelings. It's elevating our feelings above God's word, above God's truth, above what God has said. So there are going to be some scripture passages that we come to that we struggle with that we have a, that we disagree with and it's not like disagreeing with your spouse. You know, when I disagree with my spouse, she's imperfect, she's fallen just like I am. So even though she's probably right more often than I am, she's not right 100% of the time. But when we disagree with God, 
we we have to be pretty careful about that. Now, again, there, I know there's some nuances here because some of it is, has to do with how we interpret scripture and things like that. I recognize that. We have to wrestle with these passages. But genuinely, if you come to some of these passages of scripture, like what we did on Tuesday in the podcast, 1 Timothy 2, which says that I don't, I don't permit women to have authority over men in the church, you can't just throw, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you can't just throw that out. Like You have to wrestle with that. You have to dig into it. And, uh, and you have to have this heart of submission toward God and say, God, I, I want to really be obedient to your word, not to my culture, not to my feelings. I want to be obedient to your word because you're God, I'm not. And th- see, this is the heart of submission that the disciples got to see in this Syrophoenician woman. She doesn't claim her rights. She doesn't push back. She just humbly says, but could you just throw me some dog scraps? And, and he does. And so Jesus reward, it's so cool that, that Jesus rewards her with healing. In fact, it's interesting that this is the only miracle in the gospel of Mark where Jesus heals from a distance. This is the only time where he doesn't even have to go over there and touch her. Now he could have done that every other time. And maybe there's a little bit of a lesson in that too, that he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't go even further into Gentile territory because part of it is it's true that his mission really was to the Jews. Now, again, that doesn't mean that he didn't want all the Gentiles to receive the gospel. It's just the Jews had to hear it first. And then as if you read through the book of Acts, you see that eventually it gets opened up to everybody, to the Gentiles as well. This was God's plan from the very beginning. That's what Romans talks about. We, as we zoom out, we see that there is, that, that God did have a plan for all people to be blessed, all nations to be blessed. Uh, Genesis 12, that's, he said it even to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So that was in mind all along. But we're in this season of ministry where Jesus is saying, my job, my mission, my goal is to go to the children of Abraham, is to go to God. And I think for us as Gentiles, we need to look at that and say, okay, you're God, I'm not. If that's how, if that's how your plan was, if that's what your plan was all about, I submit to it. Yeah, amen to that. And we see that throughout the ministry of Jesus, primarily ministering to his own people, but these scattered incidents, you know, the woman at the well... Uh, the demoniac uh, over in the Decapolis area was most likely a Greek. You know, that region was more Greeks than Jews. I think that's one of the reasons he told them to go tell your family everything God has done for you, right? If you remember back a few weeks ago, that's the first miracle in Mark where Jesus didn't tell him to keep it a secret. Probably because he wasn't going to go tell Jews mainly, he was going to go tell other Greeks. So yeah, first to the Jew, as in Romans 1.16, but then also to the Greek. Okay, so the the... Woman's daughter gets healed, which is so cool. But then Mark kind of leaves that story. And in verse 31, um, he he shares with us another healing in kind of within Gentile territory. It says that Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee and the region of the Ten Towns or the Decapolis. It says a deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him. And the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. So Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. And he did, he did something kind of weird and maybe even a little bit gross. John, you'll have to help us with this. He, it says he put his fingers into the man's ears 
and then spitting on his own finger. So this is sounding a lot like a wet willy. He touched the man's tongue and then looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed and he said, Ephatha, which means be opened. And instantly the man could hear perfectly and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. So what is this section of scripture about and why are we including it in today's in today's episode as we're talking about Gentile territory? Yeah, I'm not sure which is gross or the fact that Jesus got this guy's earwax on his fingers or that Jesus spit on his finger and then touched that dude's tongue with <laughs> it. I don't it's definitely one of the weirder, one of the weirder miracles in the way that Jesus performed it. But I, I think there's several things going on here. You know, if, as you're looking at it, because this man was deaf, Jesus is very demonstrative visibly in the things that he's doing. It talks about how he looked up to heaven, he let out this big sigh. And so it's a way for Jesus to communicate to the deaf man what he's doing, how he's bringing about this healing, that it's it's God the Father that's involved in the healing. You know, as Jesus the Son, God the Son always did, he's looking to glorify the Father. Uh, I think that's cool. Don't you think it's neat that Jesus didn't heal the same way every time? It wasn't cookie cutter. That Jesus did things in a way that really met the needs of the individual that he was healing. I think he wanted this this deaf man to to kind of be clued in into what was going on. So I, I think that's I think that's certainly part of it. Uh, this guy was in the the region of the ten towns, as you mentioned, the Decapolis, but he speaks to him in Aramaic. So he's probably Jewish, even though he's in a Gentile area. This is probably a Jewish person that that he's healing. At least the commentary that that I read on it. That's kind of what they thought. Um, so there's just a there's a lot of neat things going on here, Brian. That if we just read the passage pretty quickly, we might miss it. Uh, in fact, one of the one of the original words that's used, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. I think it's mogalalon, which means speaking with difficulty. This word only occurs here in the Bible in this story, and in Isaiah 35 6. In Isaiah 35, 6, the NALT says it like this, the lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak, that's that word mogalalon again, will sing for joy. So one of the reasons I think Mark uses this word is he's, he really wants to make sure we see the connection to this messianic prophecy all the way back in Isaiah 35. Just another example of, look, Jesus is doing the things that the Old Testament said the Messiah would do. And so I find that interesting. This is the only other time in the Bible that we see the use of this word outside of Isaiah 35. Jesus is doing things that the, the deaf person would have understood. So he doesn't really say anything yet in this, in this healing. Um, he says a little bit at the end, but, but really it's, more, it's almost like one commentator said, it's almost like sign language. So that so that this guy could understand, you know, he's he's touching his ear, he's touching his tongue. So again, that's not just weird random stuff. It's communicating something to this guy that he could understand. And it's also interesting that this guy's this guy was deaf, but and he had a speech impediment. So the two are connected. But the problem apparently the problem was his ears needed to be opened. Um, his 
and when he when his ears were opened, when he was healed of this, let's call this the primary problem. When the primary problem was healed, the secondary problem ends up getting healed as a result as well. He he could speak plainly, so he could hear perfectly, and then he could his tongue was freed, so he could speak plainly. So there's a again, if you I mean, if you know anyone like this, I have a friend who who had hearing issues his whole life. And he did have a look, kind of a speech impediment related to his hearing issues. And so it's, I don't, I think it's just kind of interesting that it's kind of a little bit of a two for one healing. And, and there's so many more things we could say about that as well, that, that really, really are, if we apply this to our sin, that our sin, our sin problem in one area can tend to have like a ripple effect in other areas of our lives. And so when God deals with those issues in our lives that that a lot more healing and wholeness comes down the line. Yeah, what a spiritual application. You know, defective speech usually results from defective hearing. <laughs> so if you and I aren't hearing from God, if we're not in his word, if we're not listening to what it tells us, then we're not going to be speaking well. It, it's going to impact the way we think. It's going to impact the way we talk to people. Even some of the some of the issues we've talked about earlier in this podcast, some of the offensive sayings of Jesus, if we don't hear those, if we don't receive that, then we're not going to speak well. We're going to be we're going to be giving out you know untruths if we're not careful, or we're going to be whining and we're going to be complaining. So that idea of really hearing well, hearing from the Lord, is so important. And then one other thing I noticed about actually both these healings, Brian, as I was just thinking through the passage, both of these healings came about because of intercession. So the the demon-possessed girl didn't come to Jesus for help. Her mom did. This man who was deaf and had the speech impediment says the crowds brought him and they begged Jesus to heal him. We don't even know if this deaf guy had any knowledge of Jesus? He probably didn't. He couldn't hear, so he didn't He didn't know all the stories about Jesus. He hadn't heard about the healings that Jesus had done. And it just made me wonder, like, who is God asking me to intercede for? You know, who, who is God asking me to, to get on my knees and pray for? Or who is God asking me to go out and share truth and love with them? Because I think God has people positioned all around us that need you and I as believers, as followers of Jesus, to intercede on their behalf. So that's a question I would just throw out to our listeners today. Like, who who is God calling you to intercede for? Yeah, one last thing about this passage is that unlike the Syrophoenician woman, whom Mark clearly indicates to us that she's a Gentile, he doesn't say anything about this guy. Now, maybe he was a Jew, Probably he was a Jew, I think, or they, or he probably they probably would have said he was a Gentile. But at the very least, he was on the fringe. He was, if he wasn't a Gentile, he was at least a Jew who was living in Gentile territory. You know, the the Decapolis was the ten towns that was Gentile, that was majority Gentile. So he wasn't kind of on the inside, which really brings us back to the question that we started with, right? We we asked this question at the beginning. How far away do you feel from God? You know, maybe some of you, as we as we tell this story, some of you might feel like this Syrophoenician woman who is like all the way up, you know, way outside of God territory, 
and 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 she's a gentile and she's she is like a dog and she is she's just totally on the outside or maybe some of you feel more like this other guy that you feel like maybe you have like one foot in one foot out you're you're on the fringe a little bit maybe you're the kind of person who you're a little bit more than a priester, you know, someone who goes to church on Christmas and Easter. <laughs> you you go to church once a month, once a quarter. You know, you're you're dabbling, you're a little bit in you you've heard the message of Jesus. You might even consider yourself a Christian. But John, don't we have so many people in our churches that are on the fringes? They're not like in it to win it. They're not all in, they're on the fringes. Sometimes these are the people who feel so unworthy, they feel too far away from God to really reach. They feel like maybe God isn't interested in them, that they feel like God doesn't want a relationship with them. And I would just gently remind you that your worth, or at least your what you feel your worth, has nothing to do with God's interest in you. It's all about God's character. It's not about our character. The, the reality is we are all unworthy. So you you just accept that fact. You just accept the fact that we are unworthy of a relationship with the perfect, holy God who created us. But in spite of that, he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins so that we could have a relationship with him. So yeah, don't equate it to your worthiness. Equate it to the worthiness of Christ. Jesus was absolutely perfect. He lived a perfect life. He was sinless. He went to the cross. He paid the debt that you and I should have paid. And it's his worthiness that draws us into relationship with God, right? I mean, we, we sing so many songs about Jesus being worthy, and rightly so, we should. <laughs> Every day we should talk and think and, and sing about the worthiness of Jesus Christ, because that's what it's all about. It's not about whether you and I are worthy. Um, in fact, in, in the end of this passage, we, we see the worthiness of Jesus on display. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. And man, what a, what a powerful praise. What a, what a true testimony of Jesus that everything he does is wonderful. And then they make this connection again to, to the Old Testament prophecies about what the Messiah would do, that he would make the deaf hear and give speech to those who cannot speak. And I think, Brian, there's, there's both a physical and a spiritual application to that idea. Yeah, so if you're listening today, I, I think you need to understand that, that today's passage, Mark chapter 7, again, read it for yourself, 24 to 37, this teaches that, that sometimes the people furthest from God end up having the greatest faith. Because you, we saw this earlier in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus said, I haven't come for the healthy, people who think that they're healthy, that think they're righteous. I've come for those who know that they are sinners. And, you know, the truth is that sometimes it's situations in life Sometimes it's weakness, it's illness, it's trial, it's struggle. Those are the things that open our hearts to really receive a touch from Jesus, really receive, you know, a relationship with God, essentially. Sometimes it's our desperation, just like we see with these two people in Gentile territory. They were desperate. 
They recognized their need for Jesus. And because of that, they encounter him. They place their faith in him. Their lives are changed. And if you're listening to this today and you feel like, man, I am so far from God, but I'm desperate for him. I would just challenge you. I would encourage you. Seek Jesus. You can find him in the pages of the Bible. You can find him in his word. You can find him in, a, in, in just a, a Bible-believing, a Bible-teaching church. And so I hope you'll do that. Take a lesson from, from these two desperate ones in Gentile territory from Mark chapter 7. Because the people who, are, who feel the farthest from God are the ones really that he wants to draw near to him.